Building a high-performance business culture and corporate governance go hand-in-hand, but as a maverick entrepreneur, you're probably choking on the idea of governance because the politics of bureaucracy is the reason you started your own business in the first place. But don't worry. My next guest knows how to take the politics out of corporate governance to give you the best of both worlds. She's Nancy Falls. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Nancy Falls helps organizations succeed by transforming the way leadership teams work together. She's spent more than 30 years in and around the C-suite and the boardroom, having held executive roles in both private, public companies, from early stage to Fortune 1000. She served on numerous boards, advised some of the largest healthcare and industrial companies, and coached dozens of C-suite executives. Today, Nancy is the CEO of the Consinity Company, where she helps companies improve the way their boards and leadership teams work together using proven technologies for strengthening their processes. She helps create more strategic alignment among teams through deliberate consensus building. These are processes, she says, that can be taught and learned. In addition to her successful company, Nancy is also a governance fellow of the National Association of Corporate Directors and the author of a book, Corporate Consinity in the Boardroom, 10 Imperatives to Drive High-Performing Companies. What a treat to have her with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Nancy. Thank you, Hannah. It really is a tremendous pleasure. It's not often that I have an opportunity to interview someone with as much boardroom experience as you. And I love the depth of your experience. You know, you've worked with all different kinds of organizations, public, private, big, small, even very early stage companies. Since corporate governance is essentially involving a balance of different interests among many stakeholders, are the corporate governance challenges different between these different size companies? They are different, but what's important to remember, Hannah, is that um, the fundamentals of good governance and good leadership, which really go hand in hand to drive organizations in the, in the way that they should and want to go, the, the basic principles are really size of organization and even profit or nonprofit structure agnostic. Um, a lot of organizations that are either in the, working in the not-for-profit world or who are smaller cap companies are often surprised when I tell them where to go look for some of the best practices in, in, in good governance. And, um, and the reason is I, I direct them to Wall Street. It's that uh, notion of what's good for Wall Street is good for Main Street if you right-size it. And it, the skill of right-sizing is, is really where you customize it for the particular needs of your organization. But on, uh, on, for large public companies, they have to sort of get at the basics, the essentials of good governance quickly because they are so heavily reviewed, regulated, and whatnot. But the important thing to remember is that governance really does matter and can have an impact on, on performance. Yeah, definitely. And everybody wants more performance and better performance, higher performance. So what are some of these key building blocks that Main Street can borrow from Wall Street? Well, it's, it's interesting if I can back up just a little bit and um, 
tell you why I wrote this book, um, which has a crazy name that most people don't even know the definition of uh, or, or can't even uh, pronounce. Consinity really is an old word that means the skillful and harmonious arrangement of the different parts of something. And we as business people know we've got a lot of different pieces and parts that we've got to figure out how to, to assemble together. And what I saw over the years of being in companies and advising companies is that leadership teams and their governance counterparts um, really make the same mistakes over and over. And the root cause of these mistakes is a failure to recognize differences and really be intentional about resolving those differences. So, um, you know, it's one thing, and we talk about performance, it's one thing to to lead badly or to govern badly, and companies can end up in the ditch uh, or going out of business as a result of that. But along the way, what is even more tragic is that individual lives are damaged along the way. And after a bunch of years of seeing this, it really bothered me. And I thought, this doesn't have to be. If we can give leaders tools to prevent these most common mistakes, then they really can avoid them. So we have actually built a methodology around the 10 most common mistakes, which is basically avoiding the 10 most common mistakes, which do have this underlying failure to, to recognize differences. Um, and I would say, hands down, the most common mistake that we see is a failure to have clarity around roles and responsibilities. And, and this we do see, sometimes we have trouble defining it, but uh, everybody knows what their job is, at least in title uh, and, and in theory. But what, what people often run into in some of the largest organizations is where does my job end and yours begin? Suppose, Hannah, you are head of marketing and I'm head of finance. You've got your lane to swim in and I've got my lane to swim in. But there's usually a lot of overlap between those functions. And when you and I don't really have clarity about where the line is, what happens is we know there's a line, but we don't want to cross it. So we really end up not covering our lane or we're sort of unconscious of that line and we end up in each other's space. And that's a lot of inefficient effort that happens. So we work with teams to sort of raise a level of consciousness about these 10 problems, and then we drill down with them on things like this number one most common one is, does everybody in your C-suite, does everybody in your boardroom, on your leadership teams really have clarity around what's their role and what's not their role? So how do you drill down? Because it's really hard, especially somebody in a senior level or a business owner, to admit that they don't know something. Well... There are different ways of getting at that, and that's where um, our work does vary a great deal by the size of the organization. To the extent that you have a team of people where uh, the levels of trust and respect are very high, it gives you a whole lot more latitude in throwing things out on the table because there is, uh, I don't want to say there's less ego involved, but just the fact that this high level of trust and respect means I may not agree with everything, certainly when you start spending way too much money on marketing, because I'm a CFO and that's the way I think, certainly about, about marketing folks, 
but I have a high degree of respect for you and your knowledge of that space, and I trust you. So we're able to have a more honest dialogue because of that. But what we really love doing is sitting down with leadership teams as a group and having that first conversation about roles and responsibilities because it's important to get the right people around the table focused on the right agenda, but really carving up who does what um, and who doesn't do what. It is art, not science, but we find it's a very effective tool because, as I said sort of early on, the, the sort of root cause of these most common problems is a failure to recognize differences, and they are there, they're just ignored. So you can just assume that even people who've been working together for a long time don't necessarily agree completely about where that line is. So in our process of drilling down, we really unroot those areas of agreement and those areas of disagreement. So the failure to understand different styles, that whole diversity, I mean, and now diversity is being played on an even bigger stage when we're talking about cultural diversity and and, and so forth. So it's much bigger than, than leadership. Does that seem to pop up in certain portions of the organization? Do certain types of roles seem to have more of that than others? Or is it pretty even across the board? I would say... Um... It has um, some to do with roles. We, we often explore with leadership teams the, um, the common thinking that we have. And I, I joked a little bit about assuming you're a marketing person and, and I'm a, a finance person. Over the years, we get where we are because we've, we've, we've spent some time in the field. We've spent some time working and we've spent a lot of time with people in various functional roles and we begin to, to know how they think. So you're a lawyer, and I'm a finance person, and, and finance people have a reputation of saying no and being tight-fisted, and lawyers have a reputation of, of saying no and being all about risk. And marketing people, well, of course, they want to just spend lots of money. So that's a sort of a functional difference that exists. Now, that's not something that people would necessarily um, think of as diversity, but it really is. So you could have a group of people who are otherwise very homogenous, and yet they have this diversity of approach to tackling a problem. Do you cut your way to prosperity? Do you spend your way to growth? Those sorts of things. So it's really a layering. That's, that's perhaps the most basic level of difference that we find, but that's just one layer of the, of the onion. As we begin to have more and more dialogue across uh, leadership um, companies and organizations and boards, we sometimes think that diversity is a problem or the problem. And organizations that don't have diversity and are still sort of struggling with these unspoken differences sort of think, oh my gosh, can you imagine what it'd be like if I really had a whole lot of different people around the room? And uh, how would I ever get people to agree? How do I get them to um, divide their roles and responsibilities equally. So I think because there is this sort of unidentified problem of, of differences in most organizations, they are reluctant and, and afraid of, they haven't resolved them, so they don't know how they're going to resolve it with more diversity. But the reality is diversity is actually the solution because diversity brings more powerful thinking and gosh, you don't have to look very far to sort of see where 
a lack of diversity and group thinking um, gets organizations into trouble. And, and I'm particularly troubled about the news that broke out the USA Gymnastics governing uh, organizations, which have clearly failed to, uh, to, to deal with abuse, um, abuse among children. So it, the more you have diverse thinking, the more you're going to not miss something big, whether it's cultural, whether it's performance. But so it, it's actually going to reduce your risk but it is going to layer on differences of thinking, just like the differences between the CFO and the lawyer and the marketing person. But if you've got a good rubric or a good tool for uh, actually uh, raising up those differences and, and a good way of addressing them and talking about them, you can actually harness these differences and have a much more powerful organization. And And we've seen it really help the more diverse companies that harness these differences can outperform their competition that has less of it, hands down. I've seen data to that effect, too, that it, there's, it's not just about talk. I mean, there is data to support that. So it's very real. I think, though, some people are probably afraid that, as you said, my God, now we have more differences. Are we ever going to get anything done? The fear of gridlock. And so I'm wondering, especially for organizations that are in a growth phase, they, they're growing so fast, they're almost outrunning their headlights. And it's hard for their systems to sort of keep up with the growth. I mean, if working with a large organization where some of these patterns have been established, I can appreciate that the change management involved to get people around the table to sit up and take notice that, you know, the way you've been doing it for the last 5, 10, however many years, it's worked, but it's not optimal. What can we learn from those examples that a growing organization can say, I don't even want to get into that spot. What kind of best practices could they put in place so that they can accommodate those kinds of changes and really be dynamic and maximize their performance opportunities? Well, we've talked a lot about these differences in the issue of diversity and I haven't found a, a CEO or a, a board chair yet that was comfortable not having as many of the best ideas as they could. And the best ideas come from a lot of different minds, and bringing together the minds that have that is is very important and very powerful. But just getting them there, uh, and this is what I think you're driving out, is insufficient by itself. You then have to have a mechanism, I would say you have to have a culture that lifts out these differences and, and brings them together in a way to work. What what we do at the Consinity Company is is actually advise individual executives or leadership teams and C-suites and boardrooms, and we help them see things that they don't see. We help raise awareness among leadership teams of differences that exist. And that's a very powerful thing to have somebody help you see. But once you see it, you really have to have a mechanism, a methodology to address that. And that's where our, our methodology, um, the consenity framework, if you will, comes into play. But we work with organizations um, of different sizes in a slightly different way, addressing them where they are and where their culture is. So getting the right people around the table is critical. 
making them work together is really the hard part. And it's very culturally um, enabled or, or inhibited. So I, I often tell boards of directors that you, culture starts at the top. You have got responsibility for managing the culture. And you can either have a culture that uh, encourages change or you can have one that resists it, even throttles it. And there aren't many things that are certain in business, but, but they're, the one that is is the change is coming. It's not going to slow down. The pace of it is not. And so the change is happening to you. If you don't have a culture that embraces that and figures out how to navigate change, how to manage that change, and how to manage that diversity, you're going to spend a lot of inefficient time uh, debating or, or fighting or, or not really uh, addressing problems effectively and efficiently. So we spend a lot of time with organizations on that, that culture and on building this methodology that everybody on the leadership team knows they are approaching challenges and issues in the same way. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there's no one-size-fits-all solution to building the best, most productive business culture. No, there's not a one-size-fits-all. The principles, just like good governance principles, are, are fundamental and the same, and the problems are the same. Failure to recognize differences, a lack of clarity in roles and responsibilities, being inattentive to the culture, but, but what we believe very strongly is that there are these 10 most common mistakes, and we can, we can put those out there. We can put those on the table for a team and help them see where in their organization they are um, fighting with those or, or not. And then we focus on the ones that are most, um, most problematic for their organization. They may have uh, a terrific amount of diversity around the table. So we don't really have to address the composition of the leadership team. On the other hand, there may be a lot of confusion about roles and responsibilities. So the methodology of facing and addressing the most common problems is consistent throughout our work. But some organizations are really struggling mightily with culture, say, or mightily with uh, clarity around roles and responsibilities. So for an organization, we think it's very powerful to look at the most common mistakes that everybody makes. And then if you're the CEO of this emerging company, say, is this really a, an issue for us or are we okay on that? And then let me focus on the ones that are uh, getting in our way now. Very good. Very good. Now, the book that you've recently written and published, uh, Corporate Consinity in the Boardroom, These Ten Imperatives to Drive High-Performing Companies. Now, I know that we've touched on some of these ten imperatives, but I'm curious about what made you sit down and write that book in the first place. Well, it was really a frustration with seeing bad leadership teams or bad governance teams in the boardroom really get in the way of their organization's performance. You really... People are very focused on leadership as, as something that can drive or, or damage a company uh, or an organization. But governance is just as powerful, um, a, uh, a derailer, if you will, or an enabler of performance. And the way those two things really work together in organizations, I have seen over and over be the difference. And as a business person, 
I hated seeing businesses not work well. Uh, as a human being, I hated the tragic impact on lots of lives when organizations were mismanaged because at the end of the day, it's, it's hugely damaging on a personal level. So I, I realized once, once I realized that there was this pattern of most common mistakes that really were avoidable, uh, that's when I was really compelled to write the book. And um, the bad news is nobody discouraged me. <laughs> so I wrote the book. Well, that's good news. They were looking for some guidance. If there was one thing you'd want a reader to take away from your book, what would be the one thing? I think probably the one thing is um, this notion of differences and not being afraid of differences and, and recognizing differences as real terrific potential to drive your organization or your company. And being intentional and deliberate about finding those differences and saying, hey, we have all these differences, let's make them work for us. So it's really, don't be afraid of differences. Don't be afraid of diversity of thought or people. Figure out how that can really be your competitive edge. And then have a process. Uh, if, you, if you have a process for helping make that happen, you don't have to be afraid of that. I mean, what people do is that they really ignore them because they're too scary or um, they fight about them. I mean, the concept of and the power of consenity is at one and the same time very simple, but a radical departure of what most people are doing. They're really ignoring things um, and or fighting about them. Uh, you know, you don't have to go very far in a newspaper to read about all the fights people have over differences. So that's what I would have people realize is figure out how to harness these differences and really make them uh, a competitive advantage. Wonderful. So it's really more about joint problem solving as opposed to, you know, my title is bigger than yours. Shut up. Exactly. Well, I'm very impressed with the way you've brought all of these concepts together because I think there is a lot of frustration in all kinds of organizations, which is why employees are as disengaged as they are. And, you know, you probably put your finger on it that not having clear understanding about the role of leadership versus corporate governance and how they all mesh together has a lot to do with it. And as far as your career, Nancy, how did you get involved with all of this? Were there any influencers that, you know, came to light across along the way that made you go, aha? Well, I guess the um, most powerful influence on me, both as a human being and as as a person, are probably my parents. My father was a, 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 an entrepreneur who was also um, very active in civil rights issues in the 60s in the South, and I came away with a deep-rooted sense of right and wrong and faced a lot of uh, people fighting over differences as a, as a young child. And I watched my father as an entrepreneur really show me the way to address not only cultural issues, but the importance of different stakeholders and attending to those needs. Uh, my, my mother was a, uh, uh, a full-time homemaker who validated my interest in business by, by telling me early on, if she were in my generation, she would be doing exactly what I was doing. So I had this, this grounding in, in values and validation of an approach to 
really make a difference. Both of my parents were deeply faithful people, and that was um, also driving a sense of, of, of making things better, avoiding problems where, where you could. So it was a powerful, formative time for me, for which I'm very grateful. Well, I'm grateful, too, because all of that has helped create this really powerful process and framework that you have, and just helping people do the right things. I think in their heart they want to, but they haven't necessarily had good role models for leaders. And so as they rise in the ranks, especially of large organizations, they believe that's the way they're supposed to act in order to be successful. And I'm so grateful that you're showing people there's a better way, a smarter way to go about doing this that leaves everybody in a better place. So thank you so much for sharing these insights with us for writing this book that leaves a legacy that people can use as a reference. We're going to have a link to it on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com for people that want to take a closer look at it and hopefully order it, not just for you, but your management team, because it sounds like everybody's in this, <laughs> whether you're a big company or a small company. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Nancy. This has really been wonderful. Appreciate it. Thank you, Hannah. I appreciate uh, the work you do and the sharing of all these terrific ideas of, of your own and of your guests. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 